This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, and from my office in my guest house in the crap part of West Hollywood, Rog, it's the Men in Blazers podcast. We back! Oh, like Christian Pulisic, Davo, you're very brave. Podding, <laughs> well, all around you is in genuine oh, meltdown. I mean, just four miles to my west, Rog, is uh, the fires are raging. The Getty fire, you know, it's. I don't think it's going to cross the freeway. It poses no danger to the crap part of West Hollywood. But so many of my mates, so many of my friends, I'm sure, so many GFOPs affected by this and by the fires raging across California. Something like 25 million people under red flag warnings, Rog. 25 million. Our hearts go out to all of you affected by these terrible fires. To everyone in California, we wish you courage. It has been a bonkers week, David. We have traveled a lot. There's a tiredness in both of our voices. I've (laughs) stocked up on my soap stolen from good hotel rooms for when I stay in bad hotel rooms. We were in Austin. What a mood that city is, David. It is. I mean, Austin, a, a proper soccer uh, city. So much happening in that city from a technology point of view, from an arts point of view, a music point of view, you know, culturally. But it's quite quietly, it's become one of the most major soccer cities in America. The decision to put FanFest there by NBC Sports, genius. Something like more than 12,000 people turned up over the weekend. Amazing atmosphere. Uh, amazing scenes. We raised a bud with so many GFOPs in Austin. It is a real... Premier League city, that place. It really is. I feel like J-Dubs and I have seen one mesmeric airport carpet after another in the last seven days. We went from there to rally North Carolina for the NWSL championship game and eat all the fried chicken. Uh, We did a live show in rally on the eve of the Courage's victory uh, with 9% of your US women's national team who won the World Cup on stage with us. That would be Ashlyn Harris and Ali Krieger, a Mm. pod that uh, we popped up on Women in Blazers over the weekend. But the undoubted highlight for me, Davo, being in Austin late night with you, after dinner, we're in an Uber with a yeah. lovely driver, Annie, 4.92 rating. Good at yeah. conversation. After about five minutes of you and me chatting away, breaking down the Premier League games to come, Annie, 4.92 rating, turn round, sees the chance because she's good at conversation according to the Uber app. She sees the chance. She turned round and said, do you guys do a podcast? Oh, we puffed out our chest, didn't we, David? Yeah, we're pretty excited. We thought, God, we found another Premier League fan, thought, another Men yeah. in Blazers fan. I mean, that's fan what we think. We thought football's popularity growing in the most unexpected of places. And we're like, yeah, Annie, we do do a podcast. She said, I can tell. I can tell by your accents. I love your podcast, she says. And we're like, wow, this is amazing. I would never have expected. I remember thinking that, that Annie 4.92 rating good at conversations. I would never have had a down for a Premier League football fan, maybe a Southampton fan. And she goes, but, you know but- what? I'm going to pop your podcast on my Samsung. <laughs> you, you remember this happening a little bit differently than me, but I'll go with it, Roger. Yes, she then popped our podcast on her Samsung. And it filled the car. What was it, Dave? 
It wasn't our podcast. I don't even know what it was about, but it started with... She didn't try and explain, and I'll just say Annie 4.92 rating, not quite as good at conversation as she claims to be. She explained what it was like a sci-fi podcast. It seemed to combine into one podcast, (laughs) every concept of every podcast. It seemed to be true crime. It seemed to be sci-fi. It seemed to be about Game of Thrones. It maybe covered some sports here and there, and the origins of how businesses started, and things like that, all combined into one podcast. But... The hilarious part of it <laughs> is that the voice that came out of the screen, which she basically thought was us when we got it. She thought no, it was you. No, but it was not even approaching me. It was an English accent. I don't believe this person was English because I don't believe that anybody since the Downton Abbey era has yeah. actually had this accent. But it was <laughs> It was like a younger Prince Charles, I'd say. It was like, hello, yeah. dark friends, the crystal radiates and spins around controlling man's fate. It, it was like a similar accent to ours. Well, it was a bit like yours, but same kind of like london ballpark, but from the 1800s. It was essentially as similar to mine as Joe Pesci's or Marcus Rashford's. Uh, it was a remarkable moment of excitement and then being humbled. We lived a lot of life in that instant. Thank you, Annie, 4.92 rating. And I bet you the funny kicker is Annie probably does listen to Men in Blazers. She just didn't associate our voices because you're a lot less bald in person. Way less bald, much taller. But I must say, the number of people who mistake me for Rog when they meet me, who call me Rog. It was like a very, very bizarre thing uh, down at the fan fest, even as I was standing there next to the Rog cutout, which, by the way, needs his own pod. The Rog cutout could do a very, very good job. I, I get mistaken for John Joe Shelby all the time. It's even worse, <laughs> David. Okay, Rog, we've got a packed show today. We're going to briefly, just briefly touch upon Christian Pulisic's hat-trick in Chelsea's 4-2 win at Burnley. We're going to relive Liverpool's 2-1 come-from-behind victory over... Poor, poor Tottenham Hotspur. And we talk Leicester's 9-0 demolition of Southampton. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's closer than it sounds. Portsmouth Portsmouth fans have never been happier. The biggest Premier League away win in history, or as it shall be forever known, Brodge McGettin. Should we start with a toast, David? Yeah, let's do a toast. I want to raise my first third bud of the night. Oh, I've got to pour it. I've got to get that head just right, because this is a special one. To 18-year-old Ajax fullback, Serginio Dest. Oh, Christian Pulisic scores a hat-trick once, and the Dutch-American dual national commits to play for the USA. His dad is an American serviceman who was stationed in the Netherlands. Oh, he talked about the decision to play for the US, saying that it was, quote, about emotion. But I've got a feeling that the depth of the squad that the Dutch have, but both right and left back, probably had some Something to do with it. Just a little bit. Yeah. Just a emotion. Emotion. No one clarified. Was it the emotion you felt when you actually looked at the du- the Dutch step shot <laughs> while you were in the dead game? <laughs> that, was the, uh, that, was the, that was the overwhelming emotion. Um, American soccer fans celebrated the decision. I mean, it is. It's like J-Dubs is like, Every decision now to play or not play for the US, it's like LeBron making the decision. We're like, we're just like living and dying by decisions to play for the United States at this moment. And American fans celebrated the decision in a now traditional fashion by wilding out on Wikipedia. I did love the entry on Serginio Dest's uh, Wikipedia page that said, Serginio Dest is a right-back who plays for Ajax. Dest will team up with American soccer saviour Christian Pulisic to lead the US to World Cup glory. People will name their babies Christian Dest, regardless of gender, in honour thereof. Small steps 
but great to have something to feel positive about on the men's side. I raise my bud to that because we really, really need to rebuild the case for hope. Courage. Burnley 2, Chelsea 4. Christian Pulisic scores his first Chelsea goal ever and then follows it up with two more in a rampant win over the Clarets. The first saw him dispossess Matthew Loughton with a solo press before hitting James Tarkowski with the Hershey shuffle and finishing neatly with his left foot. His second, another direct run into the heart of the defence, ended in a right-footed, it wasn't a deflection, Rog, it was a bank shot off of Ben Mee and into the corner pocket. He called it. He called it. And he completed his perfect sequential hat-trick, Rog, because there was no goal scored in between. It was even more perfect than a perfect hat-trick with a reverse near-post header. It wasn't. It was off the back of his head, Rog, that made it 3-0. Willian added a four before Burnley pulled two back. Frank's babies extend their winning streak to six games in all competitions. They're in fourth place, Rog. Level on points with Leicester, trailing them only on goal difference till the end of time. <laughs> Suck it, haters! Ah, the second coming of Christian Pulisic. Rumours of his demise were greatly exaggerated. I mean, this is everything. It's everything. It might be nothing. It might be nothing. Irrespective, I've got to say, this was humanly heartwarming. And and no... Up top, I'm going to say this is not an American podcast overreacting to an American kid scoring a hat-trick in a Premier League game. This is not and never will be an all-politic, all-the-time podcast. American soccer culture is a wonderful thing. One trait it has that I've never fully understood. It has a a pattern of self-loathing. So whenever Pulisic does something good and you mention it, people are like, all you talk about is Pulisic. We don't. I'll say, let's enjoy this. If we can't enjoy this moment, and that's all it is right now, a moment, as we'll discuss, there's genuinely no point in watching sports. So having said that as a caveat, let's dig in. This did not come out of nowhere, David. We said last week, game-changing cameo, something to build on. Pulisic did so midweek, being a substitute catalyst in a narrow win against the babies of Ajax. You've got a, a Hudson Adoy. His Achilles needs rest. It has to be treated with care. Pulisic clearly had done more than enough to earn the starting slot. His first in the Premier League since August. I will say, despite Frank's quite cryptic pregame comment, Pulisic deserves a starting place regularly in the last few weeks, but so do others, which I found completely befuddling. <laughs> but to be honest, David, I was nervous before kickoff because starting spot against Burnley that low-rent Cobra Kai dojo. It's a bit of a poison challenge. Did you not fear that he'd be just physically intimidated, challenged, kind of kicked off off the pitch a little bit? Yeah, but Roger, I think we've got to go back a little bit further in that narrative to set up, really, to give him credit for what this achievement was. Because before that game against Southampton nine days ago, where he came on in the second half and played pretty well, and the Ajax game and this game this weekend, he'd just come back from international break and being humiliated by his coach, Greg Berhalter, against Canada. Not only had they lost the game 2-0, he'd been taken off in the second half and seemed to be in tears on the bench. This was following a few weeks of tremendous frustration for him at Chelsea, where he was not making the starting lineup. He'd been in the starting lineup at the beginning of the season, was no longer in the starting lineup. And you felt that he really had something to prove, that there was a backlash to the backlash. Papers now asking the question, like, has this been a huge disappointment? Has the transfer fee been, like, put this pressure on him that he can't respond for? This is one of the most disappointing things that's happened uh, all summer for any team in the Premier League. And he arrived back where 
major question marks about him. And this is what I love about sport. This is what I love about great athletes is given the chance he was cat amongst the pigeons. And yes, Burnley away in the shires, cold weather, horrible rain, terrible, terrible conditions against a tough physical team to go and do it in that manner on that day. That was really, really what made this so impressive. I, I think your point is right because he did score a goal for every G in Greg Berhalter's name. <laughs> and I did think, I wonder if Greg Berhalter was watching and thinking, I did this. It was my masterstroke. Subbing him against Canada. I lost the battle to win the war. I gave up myself so that other Burhalters could live. Little did we know when he took the field, our Christian, that we're about to see. For me, and I don't like to be hyperbolic. I don't like to overreact. It was one of the greatest days in American-British relations. Up there with Cornwallis's surrender at Yorktown in 1781. And Alex Morgan sipped tea and told Piers to suck it in AD 2019. Honestly, at the end of this game, the only way Christian Pulisic could have suddenly seen more Chelsea would be if he went and got the immortal words, English beef, tattooed on his belly midweek, Dave. It was that electric, this incredible turn of narrative. And that first goal, Dave, what? What a goal. Because it was all Christian, all Christian, pressing to force the Burnley turnover in the midfield, moving Moving at that electric pace, David, what did you see? Well, I mean, a slight adjustment in the way that Frank set up the team, playing Mount higher up, almost in a in a number 10 role. And that Chelsea press, which has been good all season, he's got those players really pressing at the front. Uh, Pulisic, this was a piece of physical play. It's not something he's really known for as a sort of a great presser, great on the defensive side of the ball. But he started the whole move for himself. <sighs> great dispossession, great run, and... You know, we've often said on the pod, sometimes in order to score, you've just got to put your laces through it and strike it well. On the run, <sighs> the fact that he struck that ball so well, so cleanly in the Burnley turf, Rog, Burnley turf, you've not seen grass like that in your life. Outside the of the turf. Shire. Oh, it's it's shaggy, that hair, <laughs> shaggy and bumpy, shaggy and bumpy. And um, to strike the ball so cleanly, it was a great goal. And that celebration afterwards, and I'm sure you'll talk about it, it was that sense of relief it wasn't a celebration of a goal it was almost a celebration of his own ability to overcome adversity and make it through to that moment one more note on that is that he doesn't run christian he darts i mean puts pressure on defenders with his acceleration and his change of pace watching him when he's confident it's like watching a really able nba three-point shooter determined to create separation. I, I think that the thing that sets him apart though from other American players is his awareness of slithers of space. He has an elite sense of space. And in this game, a clinical finesse. Uh, I mean, it was a fadeaway finish, a controlled double nutmeg, wizard filth. And, and as you say, the way he reeled away as that ball went in, it was like an albatross falling off his net. You really saw it that he's just a 21-year-old kid from Hershey, Pennsylvania, in the biggest stage, the relief, the joy, the redemption, proving to himself more than anyone that he belongs. All of that doubt, all of that frustration, all of that confusion just being exhumed from his body with the world watching. At at the time, I was in a hotel bar and rally with J-Dubs and we toasted him, that goal, with a shot of Jägermeister, which is how moments of joy should be reinforced. And we said to each other, may that be the 
the first, I think I even tweeted it, may that goal be the first of many to come. And I'm not claiming an assist on the next two, Davo, but I'm just saying, <laughs> tweet of the weekend from GFOP at even Stephen Kane. When that goal went in, he tweeted, everyone at the NBC Fan Fest in Austin just came. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. More than that, it was everyone in America, mate. It was America's goal. And we didn't have to wait long for a second, Davo. The second one, again, Ben Me nutmegged. Ben Me should change his name legally, Davo, to Why Always Me. Yeah, exactly. Look, when things are going well for you, these yes. are the goals behind the back of the net. And great athletes have things go for them. You know, they try low percentage shots. They, they, they do things. And if it's going for you that day, it's going to go for you. And he still deserves an amazing amount of credit. Yes, he banked it, Rog. It was not a deflection. He banked it, Rog. And let's face it, it might've gone in any way, even if he hadn't banked yeah, it. I agree. You look at him taking that shot and you see a kid who arrived with a transfer fee that swamped him, faltered, appeared to lose his way, and then seized his chance. A feat which is both physically impressive and probably more mentally impressive the tenacity with which he sees that chance and once he'd seized it as you say the confidence was now surging through his veins again and that's what we saw in this game the third hilarious how tall is he like five foot seven five foot eight a header intelligently clipped in from an angle beautiful header it was just so perfectly so perfectly taken and when things are going well for you that's what happens no one deserved it more his just and what i loved more than anything else after that Patrick, and you saw it after every goal, is that he was embraced and loved by his Chelsea teammates. Hats off to Dave Azpilicueta and Jorginho, who've remained the captain and vice captain, who've remained so positive and so supportive of him through this entire process, through his entire bedding in at Chelsea. And the younger players all just so delighted for him, so made up for him. There's a tremendous atmosphere in this Chelsea squad. Christian is very much part of it, part of the starting lineup now, one of their most important players. I love that they asked Tamori after the game, what did you think of the Pulisic hat trick? And his response was, we loved it because it makes all of us realise we all have to up our game. It's that yeah. kind of mentality that, by the way, Christian has brought into, as you see the comments from the beginning, when he's like, I don't understand why I'm not playing to, I realise now I need to dig deeper, I need to fight. They're all fighting, they're all competing together, they're all competing against each other. And, and Roger, I've got to jump in there because you said at the beginning, you know, Frank's rather cryptic comment before the game, but that's what he's doing with these young players. He's He will welcome that because that's going to make Hudson Adore, it's going to put the pressure on him to go and work harder. He's made lots of comments in this last week about Callum's got to learn, he's got to finish his chances, got to finish his chances. This will completely illustrate it for him. When you've got young players, all of these players, he needs the entire squad. He wants them competing. It's a very, very good thing for these young players. J-Dub turned to me as that ball went in and he just said, Oh, America definitely winning the World Cup now. We're back. <laughs> Perfect hat trick. Left foot, right foot header. About as close as it comes to hitting for the cycle uh, in soccer. And still so young, 21 years, 38 days. Chelsea's youngest hat trick scorer in Premier League history. I think he clipped Tammy Abraham's record that stood for all of 42 days. Chelsea fans end the game by chanting USA, USA, USA. By the way, legally... If Christian had scored a fourth goal, he would have automatically become the British Prime Minister. Those are the rules. We don't make them up. It was a beautiful moment. It was a sporting moment of redemption. It was an American moment of relief more than anything. Thank God that this politic thing is not going to be like Bob Bradley's Swansea coaching tenure. What does it mean in terms of real context? Can we start by looking at it from the correct side of the binoculars, Rog? Because... Christian is playing on a, a Chelsea team. This isn't a one-man team. This isn't all about Christian. Is He is 
he's going to succeed or fail based to a great extent on how well this club do. And this was very, very good for Chelsea Football Club. And it was very, very good for Frank Lampard. And I think it's a validation to a great extent of a very criticized manager on these shores in the way that he's handled Christian. And I think no one, his Sky Sports post-match interview, Rog, no one was happier for Christian than Frank Lampard um, afterwards and talked a lot about how he arrived at the team this summer. He only had one week off of, after playing in the Gold Cup. And he said he was just exhausted in training. He was exhausted. And he started in those first few games. They played preseason in Japan, came over, and he was looking to play as exhausted and he, he needed rest. He got him into the team, got him his opportunities, and it succeeded. Yes, there could be a huge amount of luck there, and no one was claiming credit for it. In fact, Frank gave all the credit to the player in terms of his ability to put the ball in the back of the net three times. But it's a validation of this Chelsea squad. He's playing on a really good team around a lot of very good players, a great mix of senior pros and youngsters. And there is a, an atmosphere and an energy around that squad, which is going to be fantastic for the team. And it's going to be fantastic with Christian Pulisic. I couldn't agree more, Dave. I'm a huge, huge credit to Frank Lampard. Chelsea are flying. Astonishingly, seven straight wins, four straight away wins, three goals in each, I think. Defensively, there were lapses in this game once it was sealed, but nothing like the fragility of earlier in the season. What I admire most about Frank is how he's keeping the spotlight on his starlets and almost trying to remain in the background. On Saturday, that star was Pulisic, but even Reese James trotted on, made two epic blocks. I mean, Lamps is approaching this job with a humility that's all too rare in the modern game. I mean, the, the modern game says, be a charismatic manager, crave the spotlight, vie for the plaudits, be the face of your team. Frank is almost, because he's so Chelsea, should be easily propelled like Ole was at Manchester United. He's almost intentionally trying to seed the spotlight to his starlets. But what does it what does it mean for Christian, Davo? Because it is an everything and nothing moment for me. Yeah, no, he's, you're right. He's making it all about his players and that Tamori tackle at the end like blew my mind. Yeah, look, it's for Christian, I think this means that you know, he's gone from being a squad member in 10 days. He's gone from being a squad member who was yet to prove himself to being somebody who is a star on this Chelsea team. Like everybody in English football knows him. Everybody in the Chelsea community like around the world knows who he is, not just in America. And that Chelsea squad, they respect him hugely right now. He's a guy they're going to look to. And you're now going to see you know, opposing managers, opposing defenses, they're going to have to have a game plan against him. He's not going to score three every week. There was a little bit of good fortune in some of those goals, but it shows how dangerous he are. Every single goal was an illustration of how dangerous and special Christian Pulisic is as a player. So there's going to be a lot more spotlight on him. So here's the next challenge. He's achieved the first challenge, break into the Chelsea first team, do something great in the Premier League. He's achieved that goal. Now he's going to have to keep it up. And the one thing I know about Frank Lampard, he will keep the pressure on him because Frank himself had spectacular moments in his career and then went through lulls, went through periods where it wasn't going so well. Frank is managing through his own Premier League experience. This is the leading goal scorer in the history of Chelsea Football Club, Rog, from midfield. And he is managing through his own experience, through his own life story, these young players. And he's going to keep the pressure on Christian. He's going to have him not let up for a second and hope that Christian can now achieve the next goal, which is to probably be a double-digit goal scorer this season and to really make his mark on a campaign for Chelsea in which they want to win silverware. I really love your point about Lamps managing through his own experience because all we know so far 
is that Christian has got the mental tenacity to be challenged by Frank Lampard and meet this first challenge. I mean, none of this has gone the way we imagined, the way we dreamt, the $73 million move, a delayed move, then arriving to a completely different Chelsea, different regime, different coach, a bloody transfer ban, raft of young players in a locker room who the manager loves from his previous job. That is hard. I mean, this was an incredible challenge for Pulisic, a test of who he is mentally as much as anything. He matched it. And the reality is, this was just one game though. I mean, it reminded me a little bit of Arshavin, who became an Arsenal cult hero, uh, scoring four goals against Liverpool on a magnificent night, April 2009. Became a Russian hero. uh, Never summoned the consistency though, week in, week out. And then his form just nosedived. And he's known as a fantastic talent, but an unfulfilled talent. I think he got ditched back to his childhood club Zenit St. Petersburg within three years. So this was one game. This was one magnificent game, a good start. And now consistency is going to be crucial for Christian. Playing time, by the way, remains by no means a given for him at Chelsea. I do believe in the loftiest way. This is an incredible life lesson. I I felt what you were feeling, Dave, and you said it beautifully. 11 days ago, Pulisic was on a US men's national team bench in agony, tears streaming down his face. It was on our Instagram page. One photo above the other. The photo of him scoring the hat trick was right above, juxtaposing against him in agony. And it felt like he'd hit rock bottom that night against Canada. And 11 days later, the same kid, Christian Pulisic, was floating around the corridors of Turf Moor with a signed match ball on which all of his Chelsea teammates had written such poignant messages as, yo, Shorty, you awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Shorty, love it. I mean, the competition is fierce at Chelsea. Pulisic has stepped up because of it. It will make him a better player if he continues to do so. And uh, on another level, I've got to go there for 90 minutes, for 90 minutes, just for 90 minutes, we could feel positive about US men's football. I mean, we needed that. We really did. It felt, I I honestly like to imagine I could hear faintly the sound of every Premier League team dispatching scouts to scour America for talent. Tell me about this pure goal scoring talent we've heard so much hype about. The one who scores goals with his face and goes by just a single name. And the wind cried Jossie. Rumours of a big money move, Dave. Manchester United for Guzan. They're in for him. They can't afford him. I will say, last thing, transfer ban. Been so good for your team, David. That's been so good. And look at the validation of Solskjaer today in his um, pre-Carabao Cup press conference. Lauded, lauded Chelsea's loan programme, which <laughs> they've been derided for seasons <laughs> around their loan programme. But actually, the, it's not just the transfer ban. Chelsea's loan system, which they've been killed in every part of the media for, the experience that Mason Mount and Tamori and Tammy Abraham and sort of several others have got on this Chelsea Academy loan system has been superb. Yeah. And you know, it's not just these young players in the squad. Look at the players just on the fringes of the squad. You mentioned Reese James, Billy Gilmore, then all the young players coming up in the under-23s in the various youth teams. There is now a pathway for these kids in this club. They have a very, very good academy, Rog, and I think this is very good for the future of Chelsea Football Club. Oh, you missed one name, Matt Miazga, still to come. <laughs> By the way, I was like drifting off to sleep as we landed on the way back from rally. I found myself saying, transfer bans. Oh, I wish Everton could get one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I, I wish the US men could get one, to be honest, David. <sighs> but it has actually shown how, you know, where, look, there have been several former great players in clubs who failed as managers. 
But it just shows that when you've got a manager, that the timing of a certain manager with a certain story coming into the club at the right time, there is an alchemy there that that just really works. And who cares that the alchemy might have been forced on them a little, that it was a complete accident, that there's no way that Chelsea would have done it had they not been you know, caught in this situation. But it, there's a certain alchemy of man and moment and club and history. And oh. it's beautiful. It's beautiful to watch. Yeah, the Tony Hibber Everton era is going to be gold. <laughs> Hibbo, super, super Hibbo, super, <laughs> super Hibbo. Uh, meanwhile, Leicester, American Leicester fans are the only people who are a little bit upset about this because they scored nine goals and they still can't lead our podcast. Southampton nil, Leicester nine. The joint biggest victory in the history of the Premier League sees Brodgers boys bludgeon the Saints at St. Mary's. Hat-tricks, plural, two of them from Ayosi Perez and Jamie Vardy, plus goals from Ben, Netflix and Chilwell, Yuri Tillmans and James Madison. Keep the Foxes third, just two points off City. Leicester refusing to allow this to be a two-team title race. What a game. I mean, like Sam Donald against the Patriots, all Southampton saw was ghosts. I mean, Leicester were ruthless rattling up the biggest away victory ever they were relentless probably most importantly for brendan rogers they showed a great character i mean before the game poor ralph hassenhuttle had declared he wanted to see his team have quote more dirty wins i love that phrase more dirty wins oh his team proceeded to suffer like paul rudd on hot ones as leicester ran up the biggest away victory in 131 years of the the english top flight a signature statement win for the foxes it was so clinical. Not only is Jamie Vardy now your Premier League top scorer, but Ayose Perez is getting going. There's firepower there. There's midfielder guile to spare. There's defensive solidity. They are on 20 points, Leicester City, Davo, after 10 games. One more point than when they won the title. How is there a title threat? Is there a serious title threat? Are we sleeping on Leicester City? I mean, look, we're 10 games into the Premier League season, Rog. There is like so much football to be played. We can't, just like I don't like crowning players as being the greatest American player in Premier League history before they've actually done it. I don't like crowning champions 10 games into the season, just fractional parts. We've got a, and I think it was despite what Liverpool did this weekend, despite the pressure that Man City keep on putting on them, we can't give them the title right now. We've got to let it play out. And Leicester have proven that they can't be ruled out. I think Chelsea have proven that they can't be ruled out. And let's see what happens. Let's see what happens for the rest of the season. Leicester certainly playing football good enough to win a Premier League title. I mean, I I think they are top four, but their form against big six teams is a work in progress. I am going to tell you how it's going to pan out, David, because I've given this a lot of thought this weekend and God love Brendan Rodgers. My favorite part of the game was the second half. His team, Leicester City, are cruising, crushing six or seven nil. It is pouring down with rain. It is darkness. It's lashing it down there. The seconds are ticking down on a game, which is so well run, so over. What does Brodge do? He decides, oh, I'm going to go and stand out of my dugout. I'm going to pop my collars up courageously. I'm going to get totally soaked. And I'm going to bark orders at my team to give the television cameras the hero shots they need to ensure that the story is all about me. I mean, it's amazing. Beautifully, telegenically casting himself the Brodges back storyline. And this is how I think the story is going to go with the season, David. Leicester. They will overtake Liverpool at the top of the table right at the end of the season. And then in the last game, they're going to let it slip. I think it'll be James Madison will do the Stevie G gravity roll, wheels within wheels narrative. And we got ourselves, I I do believe 
this might be slightly over optimistic in my narrative casting, but I do believe we have more than a two team title race right now. Chelsea, Leicester City, Manchester City, Liverpool will all be privately thinking about what they got to build on after that first 10 games. As for Southampton, God, Ralph Hassenhuttle, I've never seen a team act like this. He said there was no fight for anything. He's only held on to his job for now. He and his entire playing staff have donated their salaries for the game to charity and watching him on the sideline. He looks so defeated. There's just a darkness going on in that club in the background, assistant coaches leaving sense of real doom looming. Doesn't feel that long ago that Southampton were lashing eight goals past Sunderland. They are a shadow of their former selves in a way Swansea who also were a team who had an ideology lost that ideology and were relegated became a shadow of themselves and the bad news for Saints fans Next two games, both against Manchester City, one in the Carabao await. Premier League leaders, Ross, Liverpool 2, Tottenham 1. What a game of football. The undefeated Liverpool just keep finding a way, Rog. After going down to a Harry Kane crouching tiger, hidden header, just 47 seconds into the match, the Reds stormed back, laying siege to the Spurs goal. Their first breach of outstanding Spurs backup keeper Pablo Gazaniga came via a hendo back post <laughs> bouncing Petty and in the 75th minute after Serge Aurier felled Sadio Mane in the box Mo Salah converted coolly to keep Jurgen Klopp's breaking crew six points clear at the top oh god that Champions League final is only like 140 something days ago I think like 147 days but everything has gone so right for Liverpool since they kicked off three points clear of City with a game in hand and so badly for Tottenham Hotspur. Klopp went through his now weekly routine of bigging up his opponents before kickoff. Spurs have not forgotten how to play football, he declared like a man who clearly not watched too much of Sissoko on game film. And going into this one, it was a fascinating storyline for me. A slightly tortured Harry Kane talking about how he disappeared into Virgil van Dijk's pocket in the Champions League final and saying rather sadly, I thought, Virgil's not invincible. Liverpool are not invincible. So I couldn't have been more thrilled for him. 47 seconds in, Dave, so quickly that Seamus at the fan fest hadn't even had a chance to pop his knob back in his pants. <laughs> Sonny, Sonny smacked the ball off the bar. Big Verge switched off. And who was there to stoop to conquer and nod the ball home, Davo? Oh, Harry Kane. Wing commander, Sir Lord Harry Kane, Rog. New haircut, who dis? As Spurs huddled and cuddled and laughed and celebrated, Son leapt into Harry Kane's arms. And the whole thing, it looked like a moment from 2018 on ESPN Classic. I've just not seen Spurs that happy in so long. In the moment, Dave, did the goal feel too early? That was dictionary definition too early. But... You know, we've often said like top six clashes away from home. There are certain things that can modify that. But it did feel just a, perhaps a tad too early. You'd have rather they scored that goal to break a nil-nil deadlock in the 89th minute. Oh, God. I mean, to me, when it went in, it just meant that Spurs fans had 89 minutes of heartbreak opening wide open before them. I mean, we all knew, didn't we? Did we not know Liverpool were going to do them? I, I I couldn't even, I wanted to, I really did. I couldn't even raise a single hope, never for one second, let me put it that way, that I believe Spurs were going to win this game. And the only suspense for me lay in, how would Liverpool crush the spirits of Tottenham Hotspur? And how painful 
would that experience be to witness? I, I didn't even have the strength to tweet anything, you know, schadenfreudery about how it's long time coming for Liverpool off the post, fluky jammy goal. The overwhelming reality was even when they scored, for me, Spurs were going to Spurs in this game. And we say that almost every week with Liverpool, that champions are determined by their resiliency, how they respond to challenge. I was blown away by Liverpool's response. It's just a shock and awe. Shock and awe. They battered Spurs backwards. It was like watching the ferocity of the hacker applied to a football game, David, because they just came at Spurs with a terrifying velocity. i got to hand it to the Liverpool fans as well. Just how... You just didn't really feel their frustration. You didn't feel them. They just sang. They supported their team. They seemed to have this collective belief that, of course, we're going to come back and win this game. And, you know, Gazaniga, you've got to take your hat off to the backup keeper. He was superb in this game. But they always looked weak on the flanks. I spent the whole game thinking, why did they sell Kieran Trippier? They were getting exposed down the right and down the left the entire time. And eventually, that's what killed them. I mean, they are so narrow, naturally, Spurs this season. And Trent Alexander-Arnold, it was like watching Legolas, the master archer of the third age, unleashing a fury, triggering chaos with his Mirkwood bow. But it was the, just a mental approach. Klopp, Klopp loves to talk about mentality monsters. That's what he wants his team to be. This was exhibit A, mentality monster. Manchester City's articulate midfielder, Rodri, talked about what it's like to play against Liverpool under Klopp. He said, they go at you like animals. They are like a knife. And we saw that. I mean, Spurs midfield, utterly overwhelmed. Salah had chance after chance, not on, as you said, Gazaniga's watch. 12 saves on the day at Volkswagen tweeted, Gazaniga is channeling his inner Tim Howard against Belgium. And my God, I mean, that magnificent double save, palming a Salah shot and then springing right back up to block Bobby Firmino on the rebound. There was the power drive from TAA, a fingertip save from a big Verge header that made even big Verge rub his eyes in disbelief. Poch watched on in a different kind of disbelief. It was like watching Stanis Baratheon see his army go down on the battlefield in horror. He was a man who knew he needed to call a timeout, a full one, not a 20-second one, but could only watch on impotently. And Spurs took that lead into the locker room at halftime. They must have known what the battering they'd absorbed, Davo, and, uh, and known what was to come. Yeah, it's like a boxer, Rog, who takes a you know bunch of body blows during the first seven rounds and just knows at the end it's going to soften them up and they're going to get take one massive to the head. Uh, it was that <laughs> sort of thing. Watching it, you just knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. You just weren't sure how exactly it was going to come. It was like a surreal remake of that movie 300 in which Klopp was going to send his war elephants, his Xerxes personal bodyguards, his creepy mummy ninjas is jimmy milner's is Arigis, the immortals uh, and liverpool kept charging away and the more they charged the more open they were and we we need to note this because i think this makes it even more painful for spurs fans at the back liverpool were vulnerable they were a little ragged sonny had the best chance when sprung by Gazaniga. He rounded Allison. The goal was at his mercy, albeit from an acute angle. He couldn't quite swing his hips around and spank the ball off the bar. It was like watching someone try and dunk when they could have just pulled up for an easy jumper and, and hit the rim. It was so debilitating a moment that you talk about fine margins and games, about the air going out of teams. And there was just 241 seconds, Davo, between that and the Liverpool goal that was to come, which did remind me 
of that Man City-Chelsea game in 2016 when City were 1-0 up and KDB hit the post with a clang. Yeah, um, I remember that. Yeah, I, I only to have Diego Costa score two minutes late and Chelsea go on and stroll to victory. Games swing on those moments and this one did, Dave. Jordan Hende. Yeah, I mean, look, this is when a team are playing well. You get goals from the most unlikely people and no one is more unlikely than Jordan Henderson. I would, You could have got very good money on that pregame. His first goal and fill for him since 2015. He started the move and delivered the final blow. The excellent Fabinho scooped the ball over the tiring Spurs backline. It floated agonizingly inches over a spinning Danny Rose's head. Hendo, captain leader Hendo, met it on the volley, spanked it into the ground, into the corner of the net. But Liverpool kept coming, David. They kept coming. Aurier and Mane tussled in the box. As it was happening... We were watching together again, J-Dub, same bar, watching the game. We both screamed, don't dive in, don't dive in. (sighs) It was a funny penalty. He kind of pulled his foot back, Aurier, in the action of kicking the ball to clear it. And Mane seemed to stick his leg between Aurier and the ball in that instant and waited to be kicked. Yeah, it was a, you know, I think for some, a somewhat controversial penalty. Most of those people being Tottenham fans or Everton fans, I would imagine, Rog. But, um, you know, when you watch it back, it's clearly a penalty. Yes, he had no idea he was there. Yes, it was inadvertent. Yes, he was trying to play the ball, had no idea that there was going to be a leg was going to come in. But Mane was just first to the ball. He was quicker to the ball. And this, there is danger. We always say to defenders, just get it out of there. Just kick it out of the box. Aurier might have used a little bit more guile there and uh, it wouldn't have conceded a penalty. Yeah, it's kind of like when you rough the passer, but there's no penalty because you're already in the motion of tackling the quarterback a split second mm-hmm. before he really least the ball. I, I, watching it, Aurier already was swinging down when Mane, it was, it was harsh on, on Mane, but it was a penalty. And Salah, God love him, the Liverpool fans have been singing Egyptian King for that whole second half, thrashed the ball home. So predictable. So 2019 Liverpool, so 2019 Tottenham. I felt for Spurs, Davo. They, they, they were shattered in defeat. Harry Kane, I don't think there were positives. Whenever you lose, you can never be encouraged. We battled, but you expect that at this level. It's disappointing being 1-0 up at halftime and not seeing it through. They're winless in 11 on the road, Davo. The parting Anfield with no points becoming all too familiar for them. But in truth, without Gazaniga, Liverpool could have blown the barn doors off here, right? It could have been 4 or 5 one. Yeah, and Tottenham slipped into the bottom half of the table. And based on their performances over the last few weeks, not that surprising. This was a better performance, without any doubt, a better performance. But still some of those same weaknesses down the flanks, as you said, playing so narrow, getting exposed by better teams, teams that can hit them on the counter, teams that can hit them down the wing, seems susceptible to the long ball as well, the switch of play. And you sort of feel like something's got to really change in the atmosphere around that team or this season won't get much better. Resilient Liverpool, third win against a big six rival, extend their unbeaten league run at Anfield to 45 games. Home and away, they have lost just one of their last 49 games. That is a magnificent record in the top flight. There's a a mystique about them right now, as there used to be about Manchester United under Sir Alex Ferguson. So true. Even when opponents take the lead, they will never feel comfortable. We saw that at the weekend. They'll continue to feel fear. All the delighted Klopp would say on Liverpool's title chances post-game was so far so good.
Manchester City 3, Aston Villa nil, a scoreline we called, or you called, Rog, on the TV show Friday, noting City would be buoyed by competition from Google's new quantum computer. Despite an injury-riddled rearguard, Pep's mob make light work of Villa via a razmeg of Tom Heaton, David Silva's <laughs> tip-of-the-boot finish from a KDB free kick, and Gundogan's Daniel Russo-style putback. They stay second, six points behind Liverpool. Oh, Manchester City centre-back is the new spinal tap drummer. Rodri injured his hamstring midweek. Even fake centre-backs are now a crux. Alexander Zinchenko also out. City are so desperate, they even fielded defender of last resort, John Stones, the man who dwells at the bottom of the barrel, the man who experiences Ralph Wiggum grade feelings uh, in fear that Pep Guardiola would rather unfurl the 0-9-1 Pep porn formation of his dreams rather than play him. It was a frustrating first half for City. Pep called it, I love this, relegation form. More hyperbolic than me, Pep. Villa, so disciplined, picked their moments. The excellent John McGinn repelled by the ever-brilliant Edison, but then Gundogan and Sterling just turned up the intensity. Villa couldn't live with them. The dam broke 23 seconds into the second half. Typical Route 1 Man City. Pet Guardiola, just a Catalan big Sam. Edison hit the ball long. Ming should have had it, but Jesus rose as if it was Easter. And Raz spanning on goal. We're getting so used to Raz scoring. I'm starting to feel, Davo, that he doesn't get his due. 13 goals in 14 appearances, all comps this season. I think he's scoring and assisting at a higher rate than Lionel Messi right now. It's a. Than Lionel Messi. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Hello. This is a phenomenal. <laughs> he's playing phenomenal football. He's the best player. I was watching this game in the green room at FanFest, and I turned and I said, best player in the Premier League right now. And. Pretty much everyone around me is like, so right, so right. Face of the English game, avant-garde, world-class football on the field, a cultural icon off it. This was a route for City, a truth marked by the fact that they even brought Phil Foden on, got him out of his gimp suit, threw him on the field. But a beating from which I think brave guts filled Villa should take heart. They defended doggedly. One black eye for Pep. Fernandinho got sent off towards the end of the game for a second yellow, which meant this is amazing. City ended up with Gundawan and David Silva at centre-back and they still <laughs> kept a clean sheet. City centre-back is now like goalkeeper on the under-8s team that my son Oz plays on. Everyone has to have a go, one half at a time, in rotation. And City, I've got to say, they are coping admirably. But Pep will be looking at that Christmas schedule, that grinding Christmas schedule, wondering if his threadbare batline can cope. But up next for City... Southampton and Davo, if Leicester scored nine against the Saints, what does the algorithm suggest that KDB will do to them? Yeah, could be ugly, Rog. Arsenal two, Crystal Palace two, coming off that loss to Sheffield United, Unai Emery's men shot out to a 2-0 <laughs> lead in the first nine minutes, be the most unlikely of sources, Socrates and David Luiz, both of whom scored off corners into the opposite net. Cue Arsenal collapse and Palace hitting My back God. through a Luka Milivojevic penalty and an Ayu brother header. We have no idea which one. But the real heartbreak <laughs> came on 84 minutes when after scoring what looked to be the winner. Sorry, I can't stop laughing. <laughs> Socrates <laughs> celebrated with all the thunder of Kalamata only to have his goal overturned. Oh, for I'm not quite sure what he did, but clearly VAR does not like Callum Chambers. Some kind of foul in the build-up. The game ends 
and a draw for the teams, but another L for the current application of VAR. Oh my God, Dave, I don't know. Real Housewives of Arsenal is the official team name at this point because Arsenal are less a football club. They're more a daytime soap full of hot mess storylines. It is a, a hot mess that we have to remind ourselves before we dive into this are still fifth, fifth, but the storylines all feel so dark and so many of the wounds feel totally self-inflicted. This one began with Meza Ozil, again, not being named in an Arsenal match squad. He's currently locked in a very public PR battle with his manager via training scuffles and tweets. It's shocking to me that no one at the club is helping Emery put a lid on this hot mess. I will say the Arsenal team and their lack of midfield creativity, not picking Ozil, to me, it's a bit like being stranded in a desert with no water, yet having an unlimited supply of Le Croix, but refusing to drink that Le Croix, Le Croix. despite being parched because you don't believe that it's proper water. But in this game, Arsenal blew Palace away. I mean, the, the shock of this, again, Real Housewives of Arsenal. This week, it's our much maligned centre-back, Socrates and David Luiz will score 106 seconds apart. When I saw that flash up during the Liverpool game, I was just like, go home, Premier League weekend. You are drunk. You know, at 2-0, when really, at home, against Crystal Palace, they should be just putting them away at this point. They just allow Palace back into the game. I believe that the problem with Luiz and Socrates' goals is that they inherently mean that Arsenal will concede immediately for each one that they both score. Because from then on, it all went, as we say, a bit we work for Arsenal, but without the $1.7 billion payoff at the end, Palace forced their way back, a VAR-confused penalty kick, and a point-blank header from a reborn IU brother. Second time Arsenal have taken a two-goal lead and then just spurs it away. And 61st minute, it all came to a head. Xhaka, Longer lightning rod, a symbol of Arsenal's underwhelming stasis and off-kilter decision-making, was substituted. What did you make of this, Davo? Substituted, the Arsenal home fans unleashed all that pent-up frustration and confusion that gave him the Donald Trump at the Washington Nationals treatment. He waved his arm at the crowd, told them to F off, and then stormed down the tunnel in a dark mood. It was a heartbreaking moment unless you really hate Arsenal, in which case I think it was fairly hilarious. What did you make of it? Again- well, I mean, I don't, I don't like Arsenal much, but I did find this heartbreaking. And look, let's, first of all, I don't like it when any fans, including Chelsea's fans, boo their own players. You know, I think it's just a, it's just not a nice thing. These are professionals. They're really trying hard to do their job. Give them criticism. Give them sort of a little bit of a, even silent treatment. But the booing and no doubt the abuse that was coming towards him, I just don't think there's any any place for it. Having said that, he's the club captain. He should be so much better than this and so much more savvy than to get into a, you know, into a sort of a battle with his own fans and just walk off the pitch. You can just tell that how riven this distressing room is and, and this club is behind the scenes. Poor Torreira in tears on the sideline waiting to go and come on and uh, just not understanding this sort of the English culture with the way that the fans are booing his beloved club captain. It's just, it's such a mess. It's so awful. And I think it's indicative of a lot more problems going on behind the scenes in that dressing room with that manager. It's ridiculous now though. Stories have been written about how concerned Arsenal players visited Jacker at his house as if he's in a house of mourning. Club officials reportedly mulling over, stripping him of his captaincy, a captaincy that, that they spent weeks voting on. They, they Like, again, reality TV, let's have our players vote. Today, the stories are 
we're going to have our players vote to see if Xhaka should still be a captain. It is ridiculous. The only way they can make it more ridiculous is if they opened up the phone lines and had fans vote. It's just one more soap opera storyline car crash, self-inflicted. It's almost impossible to tear your eyes away from. I mean, to me, Arsenal are the world's first post-reality TV football club. I think it's Petit, uh, the Arsenal legends jumping in saying, it's a betrayal by Xhaka. Ridiculous. Shut your mouth. Stop going to the press. The, the, uh, the storylines are so ridiculous. It's the most surreal club in crisis. Because Arsenal have got to the point where everything they do is just done with a heavy dose of hysteria. Everything Emery's team do, they do in all caps. I mean, that includes Vardoff winners, God love, Socrates, smashing the ball home, great finish, charging away in relief, sliding to his knees as if he just scored a World Cup winner as opposed to fending off Crystal Palace. And as he slid along the turf, spine arcing backwards, thighs spread, crotch out, you almost felt his pain. He was screaming, I am not an Arsenal defender. I am a human being. Only to have it notched off by VAR for a non-push in the build-up. It was, it was mortifying. Yeah, the non-push in the build-up. I mean, Arsenal fans might be familiar with the non-push in the build-up because it was the kind of foul that they were screaming bloody murder for with almost every match-winning goal scored by Chelsea against Arsenal for the last 15 years. Um, <laughs> Arsenal fans know a soft foul. They know how to appeal for a soft foul in the build-up. I'm not quite sure what VAR saw. We haven't had the VAR robots. They haven't done a press conference and told us, Nanu, Nanu, what exactly they saw and what happened. But they reviewed it. Uh, they thought it was clear enough for them. And that's it. But I'm not sure that Palace ever should have been in a situation to come back into that game anyway. So almost, Arsenal, you sort of have yourselves to blame. Arsenal currently in fifth. I'll be honest, they bite your arm off for fifth. They're just four points outside the Champions League. They're also just four points from 14th. And there's a spiralling sense of doom and meltdown. A fan base who've rushed to the football like Charlie Brown with Lucy holding it just too many times, but it's not Lucy holding it. It's Stan Kroenke holding it and it's not Stan Kroenke holding it. He's relocating the Rams as he does. So this, it feels like there's a breach in trust between fans and club. It really does. And that is so hard for a football club to repair. It was fascinating to me this week when Arsene Wenger turned 70 and so many Arsenal fans conveniently forgot the GoFundMes they contributed towards for Wenger out signs to be pulled by small light aircraft week in, week out. <laughs> and they were just overwhelmed by nostalgia and the desire to get daddy back. A bit like Russians who kind of like the oligarchs and Putin's Russia is so confusing. They just long for the return of communism and Stalin. When nostalgia kicks in, it's truly there's only darkness. Oh, who's there, Frank Lampard, Rogers? Is it Ray Parler? Is it Thierry Henry? Who's coming back to that club to manage it? We'll da see. David Luiz, I hope. <laughs> Norwich <laughs> one. Yeah, me too. Norwich one, Manchester United three. Ole's mob went away for the first time Theo. since February. Scott McTominay. <laughs> we'll give him up in a second. Daddy Scott Theo, I'll drive Scott. him down. Scott McTominay gave United the lead on 21 minutes for the first time blast into the bottom corner. Rash Beans and Tony Martial each added goals from open play despite both seeing penalties <sighs> saved by Tim Krull in this one. United move into seventh place, Rog. <sighs> They're back with ease against the Norwich team who've been found out by opponents who know that they're able to charge through their gut with ease and defang their counter-attack. I did enjoy this tweet from at the Mr. Mason who says... Daniel Farker looks ever more 
like your ex-wife's new yoga instructor. Yes, Rashford and Martial missed penalties. They, in fact, became the first pair of teammates to ever score a goal and miss a penalty in a single Premier League game. And while I think Ole's going to make his squad play Boer on the floor to determine the next penalty taker, those penalty misses, they're just a curiosity ultimately in this game. And that's what's great for Manchester United. It didn't define them. There wasn't another tragedy. There was just a basic rudimentary United win with Rashford and Martial, also United's most potent attacking duo. What a ball, by the way, from Daniel Hamez to set up Rashbeans. It's just something we're saying almost every week. We're talking about the, the you know, the balls that are coming in for uh, Rashford from Hamez. Oh, Norwich's big tactical mistake for this one was not to spend the entire 90 minutes just conceding one penalty after another to Manchester United and holding on for a goalless draw. They've been so good against teams with Manchester in the name this season. I think they had a 100% record before this one. Stats, we created a magic night against Manchester City, Daniel Farker said. That game might just be a flickering moment of joy in a, I fear, Sunderland season to come. Seven points after 10 games. And for Norwich, Brighton and Watford, upcoming season-defining six-pointers. West Ham won, Sheffield United won. Hammers versus Blades in the Premier League Blacksmith Derby. And after going behind to a goal from <laughs> old Bob Snod, Roberto Snodgrass, the Yorkshire side stormed back to grab a point behind yet another Lise Mousset goal. His uh, second in as many games, looking like a very good piece of transfer business. Yeah, this uh, I'm so happy for Sheffield United fans because this is one of the most complex grudge matches in Premier League history. It goes back to May 2007, Sheffield United end of the season or in the relegation zone, last game of the season. They needed to avoid defeat to ensure Premiership survival. They lost to Wigan Athletic, but still would have stayed up if West Ham had lost against mighty Manchester United. But West Ham, a heroic 1-0 victory, a famous 1-0 victory to guarantee their survival. But it was done by playing two massive Argentinian stars, Carlos Tevez and Javier Mascherano, who rocked up at West Ham, oddly, because their agent wanted them to be in the English shop window. It was totally dodgy. Broke all English Premier League rules. Be like Mbappe just turning up mid-season at Crystal Palace. Sheffield sued, won in court, but the win was only financial. Their Premier League status was lost. They plunged into the third level of English football, and they have never forgotten. They have always wanted to play West Ham, their kind of like dread rival from that point on. West Ham fans turned up for this one wearing Tevez shirts. Couple even sported Tevez masks, which are not safe for work. Uh, but Sheffield got their point. They continue to impress against heavily favoured opponents. West Ham flat, particularly in the final third and the shine and the promise of last month's win against Manchester United fading fast. Watford nil, Bournemouth nil. Hard to polish this turd, Rog. No goals, eight <laughs> yellow cards. Bournemouth haven't scored in three straight. Watford are winless in ten. Probably best if we never speak of it again. Newcastle Hang on, I've won. Got, I've got a quick one on this. <laughs> okay. Classic. Uh, we've got a salute, Kike. He has triaged the Watford rot. Three consecutive draws for the handsome one. Just one goal mm. conceded. But Bournemouth, I watched them. They have not conceded in 261 minutes. That's the good news. Wow. They've also not scored in 340 minutes. They are essentially the Chicago Bears defense and the Chicago Bears offense in Premier League form. Newcastle won, Wolves won, Nuno and co come from behind to grab a point at St. James's Park. The first half, Jamal LaSalle's header was cancelled out by a 73rd minute Johnny Putback. Wolves actually <laughs> undefeated in eight games, all comps. Johnny Putback. 
Oh, Rog. Oh, no. Brighton three, Everton two. Everton go down a goal, Rog. Come back to take the lead. Brighton equalised from the penalty spot on 80 minutes. I'd given up. I thought that Everton had won and it was going to be a great weekend. I stopped watching this game and went out to go and take some more photos at the fan fest. And then with almost the last kick of the ball, Luca Digne turns it into his own sorry, turns it into his own net and throws away a point. Everton back down to 16. How did you lose this one? How did you do it? I don't know. I, I wasn't playing. It probably would have been two-two if I was playing. Let's be honest. I mean, my wife called me after this game. I didn't answer. She just left me a voicemail that said. <laughs> That was the most Everton y thing that ever Everton. And she wasn't wrong. I, what can I tell you, David? I was on a flight for this game, a 20 minute flight from Charlotte, North Carolina to Raleigh, Durham. I mean, you should have walked. <sighs> should have walked, mate. Score would have been so different. Great underrated airport carpet, by the way, Raleigh, Durham Airport. When we took off and they make you turn off your cell phones. Everton had just gone 2-1 up. I just stifled. Many of you will know if you watch games on planes, you just got to stifle your goal celebrations. And then there's always one guy in front of you, doesn't he? And you're like, oh, another Premier League fan. But like I stifled my goalgasm. Everton had just gone 2-1 up. A quite stunning Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Yes, Dominic Calvert-Bloody-Lewin scored a goal. And it felt like a first away win of the season would be ours, all ours, as we taxied to the run rate. Everything in my world felt possible, Dave. I felt light. I felt joyous. By everything, I meant second half of the season Europa League run. Back on! I landed 20 minutes okay. later. Yeah, Take us through every moment of this, moment by moment, of exactly what you did and how you found out. Well, we landed. Yeah. I just spilt... Little cup of coffee on my pants. <laughs> so I was not in the best mood. But I turned my phone back on 20 minutes later and just my phone has blown up. My phone is blown up. Never a good sign. And I just looking at the texts, the texts, oh horror from my family, from my friends, from my brother Nigel. Not a text of horror, a text of joyful, full throated glee. I saw Everton had conceded a penalty that was never a penalty. I saw my eight-year-old texting me to say, Michael Keane with a imperceptible spelt wrong touch on Connolly. It was just the New Orleans Saints of terrible VAR calls by Lee Mason, who hates Everton. Can I just say that about Lee Mason? He hates Everton even more than I hate myself. Lee Mason has awarded Everton's opponents nine penalties. I love this stat. More than any other referee since the Second World War. Just love that stat. We need more football stats, which link back to the Second <laughs> World War. But wasn't it VAR? Not to be fair to Lee Mason, wasn't this VAR? No, Lee Mason penalty? was the man calling bloody VAR. He was the oh, official okay, in the bloody good. booth. Oh, I Le- thought it was a robot. No, Lee Mason was manipulating the robot. We need more World War II football stats. We do like we should like be since Dun- more but more granular since Dunkirk, since Normandy. We all the battles, throw them all in. It yeah. makes me happy. Since that. the Battle of the Bulge, <laughs> he's had more headed assists than any player oh, since Guadalcanal was taken back. And then in the fourth minute of stoppage time, Davo, beautiful Lucas Digne turned the cross into his own net. He didn't have much choice, to be honest. Everton collapsed at the last and ensured that we've taken just one point from five games on the road this season. Six losses overall. As I sat there, Davo, on the tarmac, here's what I realised to my horror. 
Everton are the go-go in flight of the Premier League. Oh, there is no greater ripoff in the world economy than in-flight internet access. Yeah, that's what Everton are. We are go-go in-flight. We promise everything. We deliver nothing. We're such a false friend. And there's an English trait, David. There is an English trait I realise. Like, I have to ask myself at this point, why am I doing this? Why am I... Like, it wasn't just a loss. It was the way I found out about it, the eternal possibility when I took off, the just shattering devastation that nothing is going to change and life is just a relentless, grueling grind of heartbreak and nihilism. And I did think to myself as I walked through the airport with Jada, why am I doing this week in, week out, week in, week out? And I realized there's an English trait. English people love to have things in their life they can moan about because it makes you feel better about your own life to be able to point to things that are awful in other people, in other places, in other institutions, in other football teams. For instance, when my mother, God love, my mother is coming over for Thanksgiving with my dad. Oh, wonderful. I, I, oh, I love that. And whenever my mum travels. I love me some Val. Whenever she travels. I love Val. She loves to moan about how the plane was oh, delayed for an hour. How the baggage took forever to come. Silly baggage, she always says. Did, uh, when everything is on time and works perfectly, she honestly does not know what to do with herself. Yeah. She likes to be able to point to other things as crap. Yeah. That, so as, as, as not working. And I'm beginning uh -huh. to believe, Dave, Everton are mm -hmm. that thing in my life in its purest essence. You are your mother's son, Roger. <laughs> Without any doubt whatsoever, and I love you. I love, I love Val. I love you. Oh, so good. Oh, put the baggage. Uh, yeah. Oh, put the baggage. Well, where are you in the table right now? He's sitting around. We're uh, in the playoff oh, places 16th. for the. I think we're in the playoff places for championship promotion. League <laughs> <laughs> meaning League One to the championship. Yeah. Uh, talking of championship, Rog, in the NWSL, the North Carolina Courage. They won their second straight championship, defending their title by mauling the Chicago Red Stars 4-0 in front of a sold-out crowd in Cary, North Carolina, a game that you and producer JW were at live and in person. Oh, what an occasion. It was an honour to be there in person to sample the dynastic wonder that Liverpool-born coach Paul Riley is building down there in North Carolina amongst the red clay, earth and bojangles. He is really an impressive gem. He came on our live show Saturday night. I was super impressed by the way he talks about football, his tactical preparation, his commitment to details at former competitive edge. No surprise to me that the next day is seemingly omnipotent courage rolled to victory, buckling a Chicago backline who missed the injured Tina Davidson. Uh, Sam Kerr, God love her, cut a frustrated figure. She had no service. She craved service, didn't get it. And this might very well be our last game on US shores. A sad truth. It's been an honor to watch her play here. It's also been an honor to watch the majestic Heather O'Reilly play. She retired after 17 seasons in the same way she began as an American winner. And a season of glory comes to a close for the women's game one in which the sports profile continues to rise, the fight for equality intensifies, and the dazzling achievements of both international and club teams have seared themselves into our collective memories. I'd just say to more, David, to more. Amazing what's going on in the women's game in this country. The US women's national team, by the way, have just named a replacement for back-to-back -back World Cup winning manager Jill Ellis. The job goes to Vlatko Andonovsky, the coach of the NWSL's Reign FC. Player's choice. They love him. 
the players. In a way, they didn't always love Jill Ellis. Heather O'Reilly came on our Women in Blazers podcast, which is still available uh, on all platforms. And she told a beautiful story about him and how he brings players on. He loves to separate players on this squad into two kinds of mentality, the warriors and the artists. Oh, I just cannot wait for him to do the right thing and make Becky Sauerboon captain. Your weekend looks like this, an extra hour of sleep for Premier League fans this Saturday on account of daylight savings uh, time going into effect in Britain. Manchester United kick things off at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time Saturday morning as they travel to Bournemouth. That's followed by Liverpool away at Aston Villa. City will take on poor Southampton at the same time. And Sunday, as we send our clocks forward, it's the pray for us derby as Everton hosts Spurs. Suddenly, Spurs might find their form again at 11.30 a.m. Eastern time. Oh, I'm going to take my shot of Jägermeister and prophesize the future. The joy of my week, it reinforces every emotion that I'm currently feeling and intensifies it. Let's do it, Davo. Oh. <laughs> oh, Davo, Tottenham fans. Drink more Jägermeister. You will like it. This is two of the most self-loathing, self-sabotaging teams colliding. We'll find out if two negatives make a positive. I don't think they do. This taste of Everton scoring first, but then Ndombele, the difference maker. Everton will not be able to live with his intelligence, oh, his power. And I fear that like JaVale McGee, he's going to go all forget the pain. I'm going to go get these buckets. Oh, Rog, my breakfast, Jägermeister, it tastes good. I'm enjoying it. But ultimately, all it's telling me about the game is don't bother watching. <laughs> neither, neither team is good enough to score against the other, Rog. Nil, nil at the end. You'd bite my arm off for nil, nil, Rog. I would. This, but that, you make the game seem like it's going to be like Barbara Hershey's performance in Beaches. Oh. No, it's going to be like Watford versus Bournemouth. There are many <laughs> other ways to connect to us, including our now extinct Amazon Emporium, which has transformed into the Men and Blazers Baltimore. Anytime you buy something big or small from the Baltimore, we get a tiny percentage allows us to produce additional, albeit suboptimal content. What are you putting in the bald mark this week, Roger? A book. There she goes. Liverpool, a city on its own. The long decade, 1979 to 1993 by Simon Hughes, the football writer, Simon Hughes, who has written an excellent social history of the city during the time that I grew up. It's a, I warn you, a dark history. He relives the riots, the Margaret Thatcher years, the great music that emerged from the darkness as great music so often does and the football that sustains us, even as it led to even more darkness. Uh, and reading it was to wonder again, how the hell I ever made it out of there, to be honest. The book is named after the iconic song by the Lars and their lead singer, Lee Mavers, in the book. He says, there's only four routes to success if you want to get out of Liverpool. football." Music, boxing, or criminality. I, of course, did the last one. The volume is a grueling read. It really is. Occasionally, it's a little dry, but it's well worth it for all Liverpool and Everton fans in America looking to understand the true context of their football club's culture. Talking of boxing, I just got to shout out to Regis Progre, the brilliant uh, boxer out of New Orleans, who I'm part of, is honoured to be part of his management team. Put up a stunning display at the O2 in London, lost on a decision to Josh Taylor. Congratulations to him. What a champion, this Scottish super lightweight. An amazing boxing match in a town that really appreciates boxing. That was just phenomenal stuff. Did I hear this right? You put Regis Philbin in the ring in the O2 no, in London no, and he no, went that Regis distance. Pro-grade. Regis Progray, Rog, not Regis Progray. It's Regis Progray, your boxer, of which you own a little shit. 
as one of our boxers, yeah, amazing fight. Uh, this is going to be a classic pro grade Taylor. This will be the first of many pro grade Taylor fights. It was one of the best boxing matches I've ever seen. Both men at the end of the fight, just bloody cut up, but <sighs> giving so much respect to the other fighter. It was amazing sport. Can amazing I tell amazing you what sport. could make Poe Gray go next level? Poe Gray Taylor Twelman. That would be, that would be, that would break paper. I'd love to watch that. It'd be awesome. Scrappy fight by the two Americans. I think you should also consider taking your boxer that you own a share of and your racehorse that you own a share of and putting them in the ring together. Yeah, you just do not respect. You do not respect my boxing (laughs) management business, Rog. I'm putting a book in the ball mark also, Rog, but it's a diary from this brilliant company. I went to Maine for the first time this summer. I probably love Maine. There's a brilliant company. This is not an endorsement. We get no money. We get no diaries. We get no stationery from this company. Gallery Leather in Maine make the most beautiful, beautiful leather-bound diaries. I've had them two years in a row. This year, I got the Desk Weekly Planner. Uh, It's just superb. So well made, so well thought out, and uh, really easy to use. It's the one thing I can't do online, Rog. I can't handle my calendar online. I just, I, I can't figure out like what month goes before the other, what day we're in, where we are. I have to look at it on a page, an entire week, an entire month. I love it. I can't do lots of things online. I'm currently walking around with two iPhones, a new one and my old one, because I can't work out how to get my iCloud to download anything onto my new one. So I'm like, I'm using the new one essentially as a very expensive hotspot for the old one. It's really amazing. When you answer the phone, you put two phones to your ear. I love it. By the way, Maine, we share a love of that state. I'd love to do a live show in one of my favorite cities in America. And the odd thing about it, both there and Raleigh, just an over-representation of Arsenal fans. And I need to get to the bottom of why it is in both cities. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Men in Blazers, at Embassy Davis, at Rog Bennett, on Instagram at Men in Blazers, at Embassy underscore Davis. Uh, on Facebook, Men in Blazers, you can always send your Ravens to Crap Part of Soho. You can always email us at menandblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunk Rog. War pig! Sex Matumbo. I like snacks. Bulls win, Bulls win. Take that, Gloria. Bulls lose. To Tweed. Avocado rock on, mate. Kung Fu Fighting America. Love you, Davo. Love you, Rog. So far, so good.